And may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. So, John, what do you do? It's a question I always receive from a fellow clergy. What are you up to? And uh, I said, I'm up to a lot. Or when I bump into a former parishioner, well, what church are you rector at now? And I tell them, I'm not. Uh, I've lived into this title of priest in exile. (laughs) Working in the regular world, getting a regular paycheck, and uh, being part of this wonderful community as the parish missioner. But what do I do with my life? It's a really deep question, but I'll tell you I have a job. I work with uh, the city of Kitchener, and I'm a supervisor of community centers, and part of that is overseeing four centers and working with a number of neighborhood associations and uh, community groups to help them vision and give direction to their uh, community efforts. Now, a lot of my job, and this is uh, quite surprising for many, requires listening. Uh, I'm not a good listener. Sometimes if someone's talking to me, I'm thinking in my own mind, what am I going to say next? let them get over with it so I can say what I need to say. But I'm learning to uh, hone that skill where I sit and I listen to others. And as I'm going out into these various communities, I listen to people's um, aspirations, dreams, and also their laments. They look back on their on their community and say, well, look, look what used to happen and it pales in comparison to what's happening now. And when I'm working with, with groups and um, sometimes they even have flashbacks of working with church groups, I find two impulses at work when, when people are sharing. The first is the nostalgic And the second is the utopic. So when I hear people beginning to get nostalgic as they're beginning to talk about their community or uh, when I was a priest talking about their church, it often focuses on the good old days. And people share memories of when things were amazing. Where the pews were packed when people would show up at the bu- by the busload and things were perfect. In that moment, I recognize that people are experiencing a form of selective amnesia because not everything in the good old days was in fact good. Some things were horrible but we tend to block those things out and only harness those memories that in fact support our own agenda. 
And when I remind people, well, everything surely wasn't all good, was it? And they're like, well, there was this, this, but let's not talk about that. They don't want to bring it up. Then we have this other impulse, the utopic, where people want to look at this distant and, and perfect future filled with, as a song once said, sunshine and lollipops. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything is going to be amazing. But what this impulse tends to forget is the human condition. We are imperfect people. And history has taught us that when imperfect people seek perfection, we fail. We fail. In fact, the word utopic is coined by Thomas More. It means no place. There is no place or nowhere that this perfect vision has been realized. And what I tell the church groups is, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect place because we are broken people. And if you do find that perfect church and you decide to start attending, it's no longer perfect. We're broken people. So what I encourage groups to do, and this is something I would like to encourage you all this morning, is rather than working within those two impulses, both the nostalgic and the utopic, is how do we begin to nurture two dispositions? The first is thanksgiving, and the second is hopefulness. Because you see, if we continue to nurture the nostalgic and the utopic, what happens is we create a measure by which the present is weighed. It is a measure born out of scarcity. It is a measure that causes us to forget God's abundance. So thanksgiving and hopefulness. So in this context, Thanksgiving is very much this retroactive disposition. So we're, we're encouraging people, and when I work with groups, to look back. Not as a means of, let's take all the things from the past and try to recreate it in the future. Is to, in fact, look to the past, identify those moments where they, as a community, work together, and there was a positive outcome. And then ask them, what did you learn from those moments? And how can we move forward in thanksgiving? And when I speak with church groups, I do something similar. I say, look to the past. Are there moments where God worked in your life or in the life of your congregation and how do we celebrate that? And what have we learned from that? But I don't encourage them to recreate it. 
recreate the magic. So in, in close relation to Thanksgiving, we have this idea of hopefulness. So it's when we look to the past in Thanksgiving. So we as Christians, we look to the past and we recognize those times that God was active in our lives and the lives of our community. Through the reading of scripture, we look to the past and see Christ active in the first century. We also see in the Old Testament how God was among his people at work. And we look to the present in confidence. We say, we did something then, and we can, in fact, do something now. God did something then, and God can do something now. It's saying that... Um, in fact, we are enough, and that we have enough, and that God is enough when it comes to creating the future we wish to inhabit. So how do we open up these hopeful spaces? How do we begin to share with one another, looking back in Thanksgiving and looking forward in hope? I think it's important for us to be storytellers to share those moments God was at work in our lives in the lives of others. I grew up in a tradition that would sometimes reserve Sunday night services for the sharing of testimonies. People would get up and share what God did for them that week or that month or even what they hope God would do moving forward. So testimony services. Sometimes they go really long. In other weeks, we're kind of drawing it out of people. But the importance of telling stories. But when I work with those in the community, I ask a specific question. I go around and I ask, what is something that you are good at? I go, think about it. And then let's say they're sitting in a context like, such as ours, and I go one by one, share something you're good at. And I, a couple of weeks ago, um, I spoke in Port Hope, and there was a, a room about, of about 90 people, and we went up and down the roads. What are you good at? I'm good at baking. I'm good at this. I'm good at finances. And one person even said, I'm good at hugging. Right? And I'm like, how many want to hit her up after if you need a hug? Right? And I put all this all these gifts on display then I asked what is something that you are able to do together and the ideas started to flow and what I found in, the, in that moment is the future they wished for or the future they were looking for kind of invaded their present moment people started connecting people started sharing and slowly in that moment began to build the community they want to live in, the future they want to inhabit. It was no longer this articulation of a no place, a utopia, but of a good place where people's gifts, people's experiences, people's skill sets were welcomed and used. 
Now, the reason I was able to see these two impulses was because of my experience as a priest, because of my experience at celebrating the Eucharist, because within the Eucharist, we have these two dispositions of thanksgiving and hopefulness. Eucharist means thanksgiving. We remember Christ's death, his sacrifice, and also that meal he had with his early followers, and we bring that into the present. We learn from it. We engage it. And we recognize that God is active through it in our lives. But it also brings the future into the present. So if you read the first chapters of Genesis, our first sin as uh, humans revolved around food. So the eating of, of the fruit in the garden. Fast forward to Revelation. Our time with the Lord at the end of time is described as a marriage celebration. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We begin with food, we end with food. And for an Italian, that's good news. Our service culminates with food. We go up and we receive bread and wine. God calls us as broken people into his mission, into his life. And he says, although you're broken, you are enough. We are enough. And when we receive of the bread and wine, we say, God, you are enough. You've given us the skills, you've given us the people, you've given us the resources to be witnesses of your hope, of your dream in this world. I like to say that the Eucharist, as we have it week after week, in a sense, educates our palate so that we are able to taste and see God at work in our lives, in the lives of others, and in the lives of our world. And it is the nostalgic and the utopic impulses that often blind us to that, where we try to recreate a past or create some sort of perfect future. But we forget that we are imperfect, and the only perfect one in the mix is God. And he is enough. We are enough. And we as imperfect people with gifts, skills, and resources can make a difference to one another in our community and in our world. Amen.